Hello, and welcome to the Daily Zen Podcast. Uh, my name is Charlie Ambler. This is this week's free episode. The premium episode will be released on Thursday. And um, if you're tuning in, you probably know what the deal is. But basically, on this podcast, I ask people to suggest topics on Twitter uh, at twitter.com slash daily zen. And then I just discuss a topic that I end up choosing based on what you suggest. So, uh, before I start this week, I wanted to make a very exciting announcement that I have submitted my um, a manuscript for a book that is going to be published by Penguin um, early next year. So, we have to get it illustrated and all this stuff, and I can't really say much about what it is, but it's... Gonna, there's going to be a, a major publishing house, Daily Zen book, that will come out. Um, I'm just very excited about it, and um, I'll be updating you with details as I get more. So, moving on to uh, what this is actually about. Um, so, <laughs> someone suggested very, a very uh, angsty topic, which is, what is the point of all this when we just die in the end? Um, which is sort of a classic trope in philosophy, sort of a t a, almost a teenage type trope, uh, sort of in the realm of existentialism, I guess. And it's still, you know, despite being somewhat of a cliche, this idea that life has no meaning just because we, because it's temporary is, uh, very much present in popular culture and philosophy and literature and all this. And from the point of view of Zen and Taoism, I think we end up kind of discovering a very interesting perspective because we simultaneously recognize that our own perspective is purely subjective and purely objective. You can't experience the world at all without existing but you also can't experience the world as it fundamentally is because you are a biased independent agent uh, cultivating your own unique responses to stimuli and all that. So it's sort of this paradox we experience where we're both the center of the world and completely insignificant. You know, we're both, there's a certain eternity to life because in the moment there's there's eternity in the moment, but there's very much a finite timeline in the broader scheme of things. So, you know, you sort of don't exist and then you exist and then you stop existing, at least according to your own uh, conscious interpretation of life. The thing that I think is interesting to think about is that infinitude of the present moment and the fact that we can't capture it we can't lock it down the second we contemplate it it's gone and life is sort of this continuous series of those um that kind of like clouds where you can see them but you can't capture them and there's not really a way to to make sense of it because it's not supposed to make sense and so when we try to find a purpose to life or like a solitary point to which we should direct all of our energy, we end up falling short because we 
assume that the world is a perfect mirror image of our own very subjective and very humanocentric impulses. This is why I tend to be critical of people who are overly idealistic, who are overly solipsistic, who believe too strongly that the the self is what's responsible for everything. You are sort of less an independent agent of action in the world than you are this sort of thing that has sprouted out of it. You know, you've emerged from it. You don't fall into it. There's sort of this uh, divine maybe Judeo-Christian narrative or just general human religious narrative because it's a very comfortable narrative to believe that we were put on earth by an external rational actor to live out some sort of fatalistic timeline. And that's very comforting, but we run into a lot of problems when we subscribe too strongly to that belief and nature throws spontaneous events in our face that seem to have no possible purpose on a timeline that seem to have no possible relation to fate that don't really logically make sense because nature is not human it's not logical it's not rational it's not at our behest uh, we are just a another thing that emerged from it like a plant fungus or cats or dogs or trees you know so i think the important thing is to start to understand that that you are an expression of the fundamental nature of the world um, and that that's a that's a type of purpose that's sort of a you know that's a justification for being so to speak and just because we don't ask to exist and just because we have the the choice to cease existing doesn't mean that there's anything futile about existing sort of like if you're in a movie theater and the there's a movie playing and there's not really you know you you can either you can sit and watch the movie you can sleep you can walk out but the movie's still there and there's going to be stuff you like there's going to be stuff you don't like and you know one could make the argument that nothing has a purpose that you know everything is meaningless we can sort of indulge in this egotistical nihilism if we want because we have that right too the same way we have the right to run around naked in the street or only eat candy or you know do any other assortment of ridiculous things um looping this all back to the original question i think this sort of notion that purposelessness is the truth of life emerges when we rely too strongly on our own thoughts and what meditation teaches us to do is to detach mentally from our own thoughts to view them from a certain distance so as to see them not objectively but to be able to question them and see how fragile they are and how they change and how reliant they are on environment and experience and circumstance and not to trust them too much because when you trust your thoughts too much you start to fall into traps of thinking that this is absolute that is absolute you know there's no meaning there's nothing you know we sort of start to think more and more in extremes and what we learn from eastern philosophy at least is this concept of the middle way where the the life of balance and virtue and contentment and peace 
exists not in the jumping from extreme to extreme or the residing specifically in one extreme, but in the balance that occurs when we when we accept the sort of different oppositions of forces that are that are pushing us around and pulling us around and let everything settle. Um, sort of what I've talked about, which is the this Taoist notion that we're transcending dualism. So, you know, we're saying life is, f you know, on one end we have life is full of meaning, maybe some sort of religious interpretation of life. On the other end we have life is meaningless, God is dead, some sort of nihilistic existential interpretation of life. In the middle we have some sort of um, compromise between the two. Maybe life has purpose when we create it, but fundamentally we don't have as much agency as we like to think we do, and we should accept our fate and live according to certain virtues that have been established in the past as proper, that, that satisfy man. You know, Maybe that's a compromise. But even in... Um, in Taoism and in Buddhism, we're not necessarily even doing that. We're sort of going beyond that and saying, let's, you know, humble ourselves in this notion that we don't have any objective awareness about what is or isn't. And we're also not, we're not fully free and we're not fully unfree. And we should both try to navigate the world using a sort of absolute moral compass, which in Buddhism would be the Noble Eightfold Path. And Taoism has its own sort of precepts that one could follow as well. And Zen is sort of a fusion of those with some other things. Um, we should So we should use that moral compass while also acknowledging that, that things are nuanced, that balance is the key to all things, that wholeness is the key to all things, that there's no way to isolate good from bad, there's no way to isolate happy from sad. There's no way to isolate life from death, darkness from light. You know, and instead of trying to isolate these things, we should appreciate them in full and transcend that appreciation to appreciate the ability to appreciate that. And that's sort of the, I think, the internal logic that takes place during meditation. And it doesn't require our conscious perception of it in order to take place. We're sort of letting just by you know the same way if um if you have a greenhouse and you know you you exist in the world and when you have a fertile atmosphere things are going to grow and you don't necessarily even have to consciously make them grow i should say a yard if you have a yard not a greenhouse and you have this little parcel of land you have a you you already exist in an environment with water sun um, animals that spread seeds, etc. And so even without your conscious effort over time, that parcel of land will grow into, you know, a forest or whatever um, type of environment it's geographically fit to grow. It will grow, though. It will fertilize and something will emerge. So the same way that that happens, because we exist in the world and because we are fully formed organisms that, that are, we, you know, we are, when we sit in silence and try to just let the mind settle itself and not consciously focus on any one thing, it sort of has that same effect. It has this fertility to it, and it's, it's very ripe with 
potential to come up with its own little, you know, fixes here and there, its own little solutions to problem, its own little growths, its own little things. It kind of just, things just start to materialize. And it doesn't require any conscious effort or any any directed thought other than let's go inward, you know, let's do nothing. And in doing nothing, you know, you're sort of expressing the deepest, um, it's the deepest expression of being that you can put out there. Um, there's a Zen, my favorite Zen master, Tyson Deshamaru, like to say that Zazen, which is Zen meditation, is the ultimate karma because you're not doing anything for a reward, but you're also not doing anything to, you're not being masochistic, you're not being sadistic, you're not grasping, you're not holding on. You're sort of echoing this eternal um, balance and this eternal peace that exists in the world. And by reflecting that, you can embody it and understand it a little better. And in doing that, I think a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose does emerge and it doesn't have to be something that you that you can put into words and it doesn't have to be something that you can explain to other people or that you even really need to explain to yourself it's sort of just this this wisdom that i like to refer to it as wisdom um it's a a type of sort of virtue that emerges just through experience of that process of understanding that you aren't the only one, you're not the one in charge always of how you're perceiving the world and of what the world is. And that the same forces that are responsible for creating you and for allowing you to be and to exist harmoniously with nature also allow you to germinate this consciousness when you choose to, uh, that connects you with everything that allows you to recognize the absolute virtues of, you know, love, honesty, um, health, uh, discipline, respect, solitude, peace, you know, all of these different things. Um, you sort of, the, the noise and all of the extraneous and unnecessary details of what's true and what's false and what we should believe and what is purposeful and what has meaning, that all sort of falls away and the essentials are what remain because, you know, you're letting your you're letting your mind just sort of naturally sort everything out. And that goes a very long way in terms of thinking that there's a point, you know, because death is just another thing that happens the same way that birth happens, the same way that uh, eating happens or taking a shower happens. Unfortunately, it's just the thing that happens. It happens all day, every day to every, you know, eventually happens to everybody. Trying to stop it is futile because even if science were able to stop it the fundamental problems of what it means to be a human and the fundamental spiritual quest that's required of every individual if they want to find that acceptance is still going to remain uh, it might even become more difficult without the without the urgency of death because that sort of provides an impetus for us to experience that meaning and to find you know to accept what life is and if we didn't have it, we would probably become a lot more arrogant and somehow, somehow even more arrogant than we already are. Um, so instead of, you know, it's an important starting point to say life has no meaning. We're all going to die. But that's 
the very, very, very beginning, I think, of a lot of people's spiritual quest. Sometimes they go a lot darker and a lot deeper than that first statement before they come back up. Um, and sometimes they sort of recognize the fundamental inconsistency of pretending that that life is only meaningful if we find a you know an objective purpose to it. But it's an important place to start. And if you're there, the practices that I talk about and the um, conscious and unconscious processes that we participate in when we do spirituality, as it were, are what help provide that that sense of meaning and that sense of balance. It's an uncovering that you're doing within yourself. It's not an, an acquisition. And you can read as many books as you want. You can achieve as much as you want. You can do as much as you want. But if you don't sort of find a way to open yourself to yourself and to have have time and patience to show up for yourself and to go within instead of grasping at everything out there, it's very difficult to understand what I'm talking about and to find that that sort of uh, truth. It all sounds a little silly if you don't try to experience it, basically. And uh, maybe it sounds silly either way. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, when I was a teenager, I felt that same sort of existential angst. And I think it's a natural part of any intelligent person's development to feel it. Because without it, there's not really the impetus to reflect or to examine life to dig a little bit deeper. And there are plenty of people who never feel that and who never examine themselves and who kind of just go through life on autopilot which is what we're trying to avoid, I think, if we're trying to avoid anything when we practice any sort of spirituality, whether you're a Christian or a Hindu or a Buddhist, or I don't consider myself anything, but I practice meditation and I study this stuff. And the, the knowledge that you can uncover within yourself is a lot more natural and comes with a lot more confidence than sometimes the stuff that we're told by other people or the stuff that we read. All of that is good and, and helpful, but often just as an impetus to find what's true within yourself. Um, and when you do that, you'll find that there is a, that, you know, you have a sense of purpose, you have a sense of meaning, you have things that get you going. And you have a, uh, because you exist and because you are an expression of what exists and everything else that exists, you can exist with that sense of meaning and joy and peace and everything that, that a human being hopes to experience in the brief time that we're here. So, th that said, I would strongly suggest not only reading um, the stuff that I recommend, the Taoist and the Zen texts, but, you know, also read Nietzsche, read Camus is okay, he's a little bit sophomoric, but Nietzsche is great, Heidegger is fantastic, uh, Sartre is so kind of okay before he becomes a communist. There's <laughs> a bunch of great 20th century philosophers who, and and before that, I mean, every every great philosopher from Kant to Spinoza, Hegel, everyone 
Schopenhauer is great too because he's a little darker and more kind of predated existentialism directly. But find um, find readers. I mean, sorry, find writers who who start with these simple starting points of you know life has no meaning, whatever you know, some sort of thesis, and who spent who devoted their lives uh, before the internet, before television. Uh, rich, rich, rich lives full of study and experience and different perspectives based on different cultural traditions uh, and developed truly mind-blowing and um, mind-expanding responses to these fundamental questions of life. So in addition to practicing meditation and going inward, um, I don't mean to, to understate the importance of reading the great thinkers and the great writers of our history's interpretations of these problems. In terms of, uh, and in terms of uh, existentialism and fatalism and nihilism, I would, my favorite writer in terms of those topics is Dostoevsky, who wrote fiction that very elegantly and um, deeply encapsulated those fundamental problems of existence, especially as we were approaching modernity and trying to understand what they really meant without the aid of the church or any sort of religious system. So read a lot, meditate a lot, and uh, watch your sense of purposelessness disappear. (laughs) That's my advice. Thank you for listening. Um, I'll be back on Thursday with the premium episode for all of you generous subscribers who like to support what I do. That's available at patreon.com slash daily Zen. There's a link on my Twitter for $5 a month. You get an extra episode of the podcast and an extra essay each week and the ability to post longer comments and have discussions and contact me directly to discuss things, whatever you want. Um, we're developing a slowly, but surely developing a nice community of, um, people who are having discussions that are a little more in-depth than here. And lastly, please check out the new Daily Zen subreddit, which is at reddit.com slash r slash Daily Zen, uh, where similar discussions are starting to germinate. And I hope over time we can sort of have some really interesting conversations. Thanks for listening. Have a good couple days. Bye.